coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen. We talk some John Woo news, uh, possible news about the free body movie being scrapped, why Warcraft doing well in China may not mean a sequel, and of course, we talk about the film adaptation of the video game Warcraft. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. And welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, and coming to us from his news desk in the back of Goldon's tent is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hey there, Paul. Uh, how's it going? Long time no talk. Yeah, it's, it's been a couple weeks. I've, in fact, been a bit under the weather. Still a little bit under the weather, but I'm going to try and power through so we can talk about this all-important movie. Or, or or something like that, right? It is technically we, uh, East Screen and West Screen because of uh, Daniel Wu being the film. Yes, we have a Daniel Wu connection, and so we're going to talk a little bit uh, about that. And we've got some news related to this film as well. And of course, if you don't know what we're talking about, we are talking about the powerhouse video game series uh, that has been the latest sort of video game adaption to be thrown up on the big screen, and that is um, Warcraft. So, Kevin, you ever played Warcraft at all? Not a gamer, are you? Or I, I think I might have touched it before when I was like a kid. You know, it came out like in the late '90s, right? Like or yeah. early 2000s, right? Yeah. And I think that was like when you know people were still play, playing games on a computer. I, I'm sure people still do, but yeah, that's how out of touch I am. I played a little bit or watched my brother play, but I was never like, like I, I'm not obsessed. Like if you tell me a character's name, I thought I, I, I can't tell the difference between a Lord of the Rings character and a Warcraft character. Right, right, right. right. So, um. I've got a pretty long history with the game. Uh, I didn't play the second one. I played a little bit of the first one, which the film we're going to talk about is actually based on. Uh, but I was a big World of Warcraft player once they released the MMO uh, back in the 2000s and played that for a number of years before finally uh, drifting away from it. So uh, I'll probably have a little bit of bias, and I'll mention that as we as we get into the film discussion this week. Um, but I'll do my best to try and keep it uh, somewhat objective for the viewers who have no knowledge of Warcraft, as well as for the gamers who are aficionados of the title as well. Yeah, I, I, I can offer like a, a fish, another point of view because so my, my coworker asked me about like the film today, and I said the dialogue sounded something like this: He is going to rave the river roof with the river roof at the monster called river roof. I'm like. I couldn't spell any of the things that were spoken in the film. That's how out of it I am. Ah, uh, yes, indeed. I understand. Um, so we'll, we'll get to some more of that discussion as we get a bit <laughs> further into the movie. So let's, though, go back and talk uh, some news this week with uh, Kevin back at the news desk. Here at the news desk, um, we're covering kind of stuff that we missed over the past week instead of trying to cover everything in the last two weeks. Uh, first, we go over to Japan in Osaka, where John Woo has begun the shoot for his latest film, Manhunt. 
uh, it's a remake of the the Japanese police thriller uh, starring Takakura Ken, also name Manhunt. Um, this film is gonna have a very, uh, has a very very pan Asian cast. Um, first of all, he's he's working with actually a um, a total um, Japanese crew this time, a Japanese cinematographer, Japanese composer. I think he's shooting most of it, if not the entire thing, uh, in Japan. Um, the stars so far, uh, Fuku Fukuyama uh, Masaharu, the, the, the star who was in uh, Like Father, Like Son, also the singer-songwriter. Uh, you have uh, Jun Kurimuna, um, Hiroyuki Ikeuchi, who was in It Man 1. Um, you have Tao Okamoto, who was in the Wolverine film, uh, the second one, and the one that's set in Japan. You also have Korean actress Haji Won. Uh, and also, the star of the film is China's Zhang Hanyu. Um, so yeah, this is going to be a huge production. It's cost uh, US $40 million. The film is about a lawyer um, who has been accused of murder, who has to clear his name. Um, it's a really you know, typical crime thriller that uh, is kind of it's going to be a welcome return for John Woo because, I mean, last last film he did was The Crossing, which um, lost a humo- humongous, I'm not even sure if humongous is a word, that's how big it is, a large, large amount of money for his investor. Um, and before that, Red Cliff, apparently, you know, despite it doing really well across Asia, um, did not really um, uh, um, make a lot of money because it costs so much money so this uh of course this film isn't isn't cheap either like i said us 40 million dollars is not going to be easy to recoup but um i think this is going to be more in line with what foreign foreign audiences kind of want to see in a john woo film so in that case in that sense um i think um it's already a pretty exciting project um paul i i yeah i don't you know you don't have to say much because of the voice, but uh, I'd like to hear what what you think about. Well, I do have a question: Is um, so are, is this going to be kind of like Helios, where they're just they've got all these different actors from different Asia regions speaking their own languages, or are we looking at a lot of uh, post production studio dubbing, or, or how are they going to approach the language part of this? I I am almost sure that they're going to go with the star's own um, language. I don't. I, I think that. In this day and age, um, you can't really have the you know old eighty style where everyone's dubbing Cantonese anymore. Especially if you have you know big stars like Fukuyama Masaharu, who has a very distinctive voice, right? And so it's John Hanyu, right? Very distinctive voice. Um, I, I, I think that they're gonna work some way around it. There must be a reason why the film has to be um, uh, set in Japan because I mean it's a Chinese script, Chinese language film, Chinese director, uh, Chinese star. So why set in Japan? There must be a reason for it. So. Um, uh, I'm interested to see how how what they do with this um, and how they manage to get a Japanese production past local censors before they I mean in China before they start shooting because this is a co-production right so um, yeah uh, I'm really curious about how they're gonna do this. All right, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, so next bit of news is about the three body problem. Is that correct? Yeah, free body problem. This is a film that you are super excited about, right, Paul? Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, the, it's a uh, uh, award-winning piece of literature, you know, that rare aspect of science fiction coming out of China. And so I was quite anxious to see the film. Yeah, um, un- unfortunately, the film uh, has run into a lot of production problems. Uh, a a um, Weibo post from this past week, um, com- it's pretty much been confirmed that the CEO of the company, the investor, Kong Ergo, who is a very um, active, prolific 
film guy uh, in the Weibo circle in social media um, as CEO of this company. He's already left his job as a CEO of the investor. Um, and apparently the, the, VF, the VFX team has to be changed. Um, whatever has been shot, apparently, it, according to rumors, rumors, again, rumors not confirmed, um, apparently it's not really usable. Um, and that the film is completely scrapped. They're gonna throw everything away. But um, uh, local media has has um, uh, e- interviewed the author, and the author of the of the book uh, says that the film will be coming out next year, and that the post production is holding things up. He um, did not confirm or deny whether the CEO of the investor investing company has already quit. Actually, Kong Ergo came out and sort of half admitted that he had has left his job already so it is true that he has left the the company that invested the film and he was one of the leading figures of the film uh getting produced um and uh, and apparently if the special effects is you know taking so long this may confirm the whole problem with the whole special effects team um and the thing is i'm not really surprised because the film was announced with a sort of a, a good cast of pretty okay cast which uh, i think it was Zhang jing chu uh i think william fung maybe i don't remember a couple of the actors but at least Zhang jing chu was in it a couple of respectable actors um the director was the it's a director who doesn't really have big budget film experience he was directed call uh, a film called man from the court from the man behind the courtyard not a very experienced director um so i didn't really have much hopes especially kong ergo is kind of uh um not again also not very um experienced um, in film investment, especially after he said, no matter is good or bad, it has to be done in China. So he was practically half expecting the film to be bad. I don't know what the hell he was doing. Hmm. But yeah, um, Paul, what? How, uh, you must be disappointed about this. Yeah, I mean, if, um, if, uh, if especially if it doesn't come out, I mean, if it, they have so many special effects extravaganzas that come out these days um, that are, you know, uh, probably not worth the celluloid they're printed on. And yet, this one is actually based on uh, an award-winning piece of science fiction li- literature. It won the uh, Nebula Award, so I'm surprised they're having. You would think that winning, a, you know, an international award like that, that uh, the powers that be would be, you know, all behind getting this thing done and, and kind of getting it done right. You know, it's not just another retelling of the Romance of the Three Kingdoms or something that's been done. Uh, dozens of times before, right? You'd think that they'd want to, um, you know, try and put this out there as a kind of super soft power or something. No, the, I mean the the film industry has gotten way too big for um, the government to to interfere the way the way it does. I mean, the way that most the most it can do in terms of interfering is to try and protect the um, uh, the the local market, try and do these blackout periods or. Or um, try and open Hollywood films at certain times so that it would make enough money to waste total box office. It's really more of a market uh, control, but they can't really control the actual films themselves being made these days anymore. Uh, unless you know you're making a film for the August first studio, right? And that's different. But no, this this um, this is clearly a private production. So no, there wasn't anything going to be anything like that. Hmm. Well, yeah. it's a, it's a shame if it doesn't doesn't actually come out. I mean. Uh... Because I would, I mean, I'm I'm guessing that they had uh, at least some semblances of pre-production material in place, right? Some, if they hadn't actually gotten to shooting it, they'd have at least a, a script or something, right? They shot the film apparently. They oh. shot. I mean, the production itself is wrapped. Oh, so, so the production's done. They just are getting it's held up because of the post-production, right? It's the post-production where they realize it wasn't going to work. I mm-hmm. think. 
uh, at least from the rumors. But yeah, uh, but no, the, the the fact that the CEO of the the main investment company leaving, um, and he was one of the spearheads of this whole project, was a very is a very troubling sign. Yeah. Well, hopefully, something somebody will pick it up, and it won't just you know end up on the Empire of the Deep pile or something. <laughs> I, I, w- I would think that the production process is a bit more positive than that. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Um, well, speaking of China and China markets, uh, we're going to talk about the Warcraft movie in a bit. Uh, but, of course, if you've been following movie news at all, you know that the film has gotten mixed to somewhat negative reviews in the West, and particularly in the States. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that going forward. But one of the big questions is is that because the film's not getting uh, the positive buzz that perhaps producers uh, were hoping for, financially the film's, I guess, doing lukewarm business um, in the West. But China seems to love it, and it's been doing uh, gangbusters um, in terms of, of their revenue, which for me makes me hopeful that, you know, could this be a case where we get a sequel just because of the China market, but uh, Kevin, you're here to tell us that that may not be, in fact, the case. Right. Um, Warcraft has done quite terribly, uh, as a matter of fact, actually around the world. Uh, in America, in the second weekend, it took a 70% dip, and it's only made $38 million, um, for a film with a $160 million budget, and probably another $100 million uh, uh, um, dumped on, on, on promotion. This is a very, very bad sign. Um, the film has done 339 million, 340 million worldwide already, um, but at least uh, about 200 million of those come from China, which is a very troubling sign. Um, yes, it's done great in China. China apparently, this film, uh, it's a very much a, a nostalgic film for male audiences. It's attracted a huge male audience, especially my age or 30s and their 30s because for them it's the college days um or actually as recent as a couple years people still play warcraft uh in china it's a super popular game uh, among men guys young people so and of course in china when you want to appeal to a certain audience you have to appeal to young people because those are the people who are paying to watch movies in cinemas um but uh even though it's made 200 million um actually the the sign is really not as positive as you think because um First of all, a film should make about three times its budget to 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 actually even recoup, um, considering you have you know promotion budget uh, that that's more than just the, the production budget. So, 160 million means that it needs to make a 480 million just to recoup. Okay, worldwide. Now in China, this is even worse because in China, um, uh, first of all, the when you uh, theaters t- take 50 percent of of any box office growth. So um, when we look at 38 million in U.S., it means that Universal is only recouped 19 million. Um, or in China, when you see 204 million, it means 102 million of that money has already gone to the theaters in China, which is great. Um, but the thing is, uh, because it's brought in as a foreign production, and um, only two companies uh, distribute movies in China, uh, China Film Group and Huasha. Here, Huasha distributed. But the thing is, Legendary owns actually bought, uh, sorry, it was bought out by China's Wanda Group. Um, so the film is technically uh, handled by Wanda in China, uh, who own, also owns theaters. Now, there is already rumors that Wanda was um, essentially rigging the box office of the film, at least in the second weekend, uh, by 
um, because you see the top uh, top 100 grossing theaters, a majority of those uh, uh, theaters are Wanda cinemas. Um, but also, um, according to what I've read um, around social media, uh, um, and this makes sense because, again, Wanda is the majority owner of Legendary. Part of the distribution deal is that Wanda is taking 75% of the box office revenue. Now, now um, assuming that we're talking about the 75% of the 50% that is already that that you know that was already you know that Wanda gets to keep. That means so let's say 102 million, 70% of that let's say it's roughly 60 70 million, which means Universal in America is only getting 20 million back. So considering yes, even if a film does super well in the China market. The, the the original univer- the original studio only gets actually scraps because they also pay for the taxes that 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 comes with importing a film or or releasing a a foreign film in China. So actually, whenever a film does really well in China, you have to double sort of think how much money does America get back? Um, American studio Hollywood studios in many countries actually have direct distribution. So for example, in Hong Kong, Universal uh, has direct distribution. Um, in most Actually, in, in at least a, a majority of, uh, of uh, countries, Universal has direct distribution, which means they the local branch takes the revenue and they feed it back to Hollywood. So the money that they make overseas, a lot of it goes, at least 50, 50% of the revenue goes back to Hollywood. But in China, they only get a good 10, 20% of that revenue back. Um, I'm sorry, actually 20% of the 50%, so that's even less. So this is why, um, so the only people who'll be trying to push a sequel to the film would be Legendary's owner, which is uh, um, uh, Wanda. But the thing is, Universal, after this huge, huge loss, they're suffering a huge loss, um, even if they only invested a, a certain percentage, they still have to share that percentage with Legendary, which means they're really getting scraps. And that means Wanda or Legendary, if they want to produce a sequel, they are going to have to find a different partner. I don't think Universal is going to want to uh, to to participate in a sequel of a mega flop like 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 Warcraft. Hmm. It's interesting. Um, some some of the fuzzy math dynamics that go on with these uh, these deals. So cause- that's why this this is why so many Hollywood companies want to do co-production because co-productions with China automatically means a bigger share of the pie because the co-production means you're sharing the box office revenue you're not just getting a fraction um of the money after you know everyone else takes them in china um there's a pretty uh room there's a pretty famous rumor uh, it's pretty much an open secret anyway that when red cliff um uh came out it had a bunch of investors you know J- japanese korean uh hong kong and china the thing is it did a ton of money in in in, in china but the thing is that all the non-Chinese investors never got to see any of that money hmm. because the Chinese distributor and, and they swallow all the money. So, so this is what you get when you work, I guess, you know, where you're trying to work in China. And the question is, you know, is that percentage, that fraction, is it still worth trying to get into that market? Hmm. It's interesting. The, um, the other thing that uh, kind of strikes me at this, though, is, is just the uh, fervor that you mentioned. I mean, as you said, uh, this is an intellectual property that has really drawn people out to the to the theaters. Now, you said you thought that maybe Wanda is doing a little bit of uh, fudge in the numbers. Do you think that's an issue, or do you do you think that uh, you know that the the numbers are a sign of of the support for the, the for the the brand? 
I don't think people are have have any brand loyalty to Wanda Cinema. I mean, uh, to, to, to the Warcraft, to the Warcraft brand title. No, no, I, I truly believe that there are many people who are watching it. Um, it's just the question whether Wanda is doing a part in the rigging. I mean, certainly the film has done, a, you know, has has drawn a lot of debate, a lot of um, uh, um, buzz on social media in China. So pe- clearly, people are seeing it. It's just whether so this many people uh have seen it and whether um uh some of the you know big you know um loud buzz about how well it's doing is if if, you know part of that is because certain advantage is given or if there's some kind of rigging or whatever um it's all i mean this the the evidence so far is circumstantial i mean yeah so what a majority of theater who, uh, that are doing really well are Wanda Cinemas, but that could only be because Wanda Cinemas is giving it, you know, a full support by, you know, lining up as many shows as possible, whatever. Um, there's really no proof of any, any real number rigging so far. Mm. Um, but no, it, it's definitely a popular film in China, and it's definitely done really well. There's no doubt about that. And was there a bit of news where our favorite guy, Jackie Chan, came out and was, like, saying... This shows the power of China that we can, uh, we can make this flop of a movie into a success or something like yeah, that. Yeah, who cares? He's just jealous that his movie don't do as well. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, one of the reasons perhaps the film is doing so well is this odd little story that uh, came across on the Shanghaiist. I've talked about this elsewhere as well. I've even mentioned this to my students in the summer class I'm currently teaching on games and game design. And... Um, this is a story about a guy who loved Warcraft so much that he actually brought his companion to the Warcraft movie. His companion is, in fact, a, a real doll. Um, it, the, the Shanghaiist article calls it a blow-up doll, but it's not really a blow-up doll. It's uh, one of these sort of high-end real dolls that you can order out of Japan. Um, I think uh, if you've seen the movie Lars and the Real Girl, um, it's it's one of these types. Um and this is, this is a real thing, you know, that there are people who are choosing these as companions rather than people, and it gets into objectophilia and, um, you know, the, the, these kinds of um, issues. And I make no judgment on this guy at all. I just want to say, you know, he's not hurting anybody. He bought a ticket for his doll slash girlfriend, and you can go and see the pictures, and he, you know, wheeled her in, and he put her in a seat, and they watched the movie together, so... At least uh, some small portion of the China revenue um, came from this guy and his uh, doll. So there you have it. A little bit of odd news uh, to come out from this. So, Kevin, would you ever bring a doll? What, to, to, to watch a movie? theater? Yeah. I don't think I'd bring a doll anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think... Oh, I, well, first of all, I don't have a doll. Okay. First of all, <laughs> Let me just, just wanted just wanted some that. clarification, right? Yeah. No, no, I would not bring a doll to the theater. Now, don't don't cut around me going like, I'm not even gonna say how you're gonna cut it, but <laughs> but no, no, I would not bring a doll to a theater. Mm. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so yeah, that's uh, it, it's very interesting to look at sort of the the variant of of the reception to this film. And uh, we'll get a little bit further into that uh, reception between fans and between a sort of a general audience perspective when we get a little bit deeper into our review. 
But before we do that, that's going to, I think, wrap up our news for this week. So why don't we take a short musical interlude and come back and talk about the film. And we're back. Our film this week, if you don't know by now, is, of course, Warcraft The Beginning. The story, having depleted the resources of their own world through the use of fell magic, the orcish warlock Gul'dan sends a war party of orcs through a dark portal to a new world called Azeroth. Here they encounter the humans from the kingdom of Stormwind, led by King Rin and his brother-in-law Lothar. As the two sides clash, a growing war seems imminent, but the orc chieftain Duratan sees a future of darkness for the orcs as they fall further under the sway of Gul'dan's corruptive magics. With guidance from the guardian Medivh and the prowess of a young mage named young mage named Cadgar, both sides seek to work together to avoid an all-out war. But Gul'dan's hold on the orcs may be too strong for even Durotan to break. So, this is the basic plot for the story, and if uh, I kind of lost you with some of the names thrown in there, I do apologize. Uh, the Warcraft film is being directed by Duncan Jones. Um, some of you may know him as the son of singer, the late singer David Bowie. Um, he's also known, you know, as a competent director. He's directed Moon, which is a highly acclaimed science fiction film. Um, his second film, Source Code, was not quite as highly acclaimed, but it was still interesting nonetheless. Um, I saw that in the theater when it came out here, and, and I fairly well enjoyed it. Not quite as strong as Moon, uh, um, I would say, but... Uh, Still fun, nonetheless. Um, but here's where we start to get into the issue of tapping him for the director. With only two films under his belt, he's still pretty new, you know, in the saddle, being a director. And to take on a big brand, a big property like Warcraft, perhaps, might have been a bit too much. Now, I don't say that as an insult, because I do know from things that I've read that he's a big fan of the game. He knows the game. Um, there's been some criticism levied because of some of the changes that have been made to certain characters and certain stories. We're not going to get into any, any of that here. Um, there are you know, much deep, deeper forums that can go into those uh, tidbits. But what I will say is that, remember, this is a game. Uh, a narrative from a game back in 1994, um, which was originally Warcraft Orcs and Humans. So, of course, they've made some narrative changes between now and then. I mean, the games themselves have done some retconning. So, in order to take this and make it sort of a more cohesive story for the screen, um, they're going to shift some things around. So, I didn't really have a big problem with that. But I do think that um, the the... The film does show a sense of maybe naivete in terms of some of the choices um, that are being made uh, to try and put all of this on, on the screen in the way that they're doing it. Now, for years, Blizzard has, in, in their cutscenes and in their promotional material for the World of Warcraft um, online role-playing game, um, they've been lauded for their their cutscenes and their 
the voice acting that's done and the quality of the animation. And people have been saying for years, why don't they just do a fully sort of animated film? They'd love to see that. Um, and so the decision to do the, the mix that they do here. So what you have is you have uh, the orcs are all CGI um, with, you know, some veteran voice actors and some interesting choices as well that we'll talk about. The humans are all human actors. And so what you end up getting is you get some scenes with humans acting on green screens, and then you get these other sort of fully laid out backgrounds with CG animation and actors. I'm guessing they did some pretty advanced uh, motion capture for the most part. You do get some sense of uh, facial emotions at times. So it's pretty advanced stuff that they're, do that they're doing with this. There was a bit of an uncanny valley moment, I would say, right at the start um, when the orcs first started communicating. And very quickly I got sucked in. And, uh, you know, I kind of just, you know, lost that uncanny valley effect. So it's hard for me, though, to be fair to this movie because I love the game, I love the intellectual property, and I didn't come away hating the movie. You know, some people have a deep hate for this movie. Um, some people have... I would think an unobjective love for the movie as well and I find myself stuck in the middle and for me that's kind of where the film falls so this does have a Hong Kong connection that I think is interesting Daniel Wu is cast as Guldan the evil uh, orc warlock and very interesting choice I didn't know it was him at first um, I, I certainly didn't pick up on his voice I think I was in a discussion with somebody else about the possibility of them actually doing some motion capture with him um, for some of the movements, and I'd say he did a great job. I mean, um, I was fully invested in the performance of, of that character, and I in no way was drawn out saying, hey, that's, you know, Daniel Wu, the guy who does, uh, you know, uh, skin advertisement products over here in the occasional Hong Kong movie. <laughs> um, so yeah, this movie I think is at its best when it's just the orcs on the screen um, dealing with each other, the, the, the look of the film, the feel of the film uh, the acting involved with the voice actors, I think it was just it, it's almost a different level of film um, when the humans show up is when it starts to turn bad the dialogue's bad the wigs are bad, a lot of it's just bad, it just doesn't seem to fit um and we record this in the week when we've just been hit with Season 6, Episode 9 of Game of Thrones. Um, so by the time you hear this, that you know might be a week or so past that. Um, and they've just had this big Battle of Winterfell. And I'm not going to go into spoilers because I know Kevin's not current, right? You're still not current, right, Kevin? I've sold my Game of Thrones Blu-ray set. I, I will catch up to it, but I'm like yeah. two seasons behind, man. So... <clears throat> Anyway, that big battle is being lauded. Uh, that's their, I think they've submitted this episode for their Emmys, and um, it was just a, a, a fantastic piece of production, we'll say. So you have a week where something like that is being released, and we're talking about a film, um, and it's hard to not think back and sort of draw comparisons in some ways. Let's talk a little bit about the actors, though. So the other choice that they made here is you don't really have any big-name sort of A-list people. Um, it's people they've pulled from some television shows, um, some 
you've got a couple famous voice actors doing some some of the orc voices as, as we mentioned daniel Wu. but for the most part for example we have dominic cooper playing uh, king grin um if you don't know the name he's tony stark's dad in the marvel movies he's um or at least young tony stark's dad i should say uh he is a preacher on the current uh what is it uh, amc series that's running ruth nega plays his wife uh, lady rin also from Marvel, she was in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I want to say season one, two, and three. And she's <coughs> also appearing on Preacher. Uh, Toby Kebbell plays Durat, the voice of Duratan. He was Victor Von Doom in the Fantastic Four movie. Clancy Brown, the always excellent Clancy Brown as Blackhand, who ends up being sort of one of the key antagonists of the film, along with Daniel Wu. But really no real A-list names here. Um, so to speak. So there's nobody I think that a general audience is going to look at when they see the trailer, they see the poster, and they're going to go, ah, yes, must go see uh, this because, you know, so-and-so is in it. Um, so that's another point where I'm thinking you've got this massive, massively popular, this was for a time the most popular online role-playing game for years. It had the highest subscription rates, so it's well-known in the gaming community, you need something, because you're going to get the gamers there. You need something to bring the general audience there. Something beyond the the fancy, flashy CG effects that you're going to show in a trailer. And I don't think they did that. I think that was, again, maybe a bit of oversight. Um, maybe they just didn't have the money to you know hire big people. And maybe they were just dealing with budget issues. I'm not sure. But between the choice of director... Um, as a sort of neophyte director and no A-list stars, it really seems to me like they kind of had an uphill battle with this film from the get-go. Now, if, if I remember correctly, they did have, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Bruce Campbell's buddy. <laughs> director of Spider-Man, Sam Raimi. Oh, I Sam Raimi. Yeah. Um, I think Sam Raimi was originally attached as the director way back when... And uh, that fell through at some point, and then Duncan Jones got, got pulled in. Now, I think, again, Duncan Jones does a great job of handling the material. He shows love and care for the material, but I think when it comes to actual production, um, there's some, some things that do fall short, and mostly that's with the human stuff. I kept thinking to myself, oh, if I could only just edit out all of the human stuff and just edit together this shorter you know, thing that's just focusing on the orcs, it would be so much better. Um, so but there's also a lot of fan service moments that the fan in me really enjoyed. Uh, a couple times they do speak down to the audience. They're a little bit kind of too in your face, too direct. But um, for, for the most part, these are the things that I think if you're a fan of the game are why you're going to enjoy the film, why you're going to come out not hating the film or even really liking the film. Um, but once the humans get on screen with the orcs too, something doesn't gel right. Um, I'm not sure if it's the way thing, the way the scenes are lit, or just the general way the actors are, you know, in the space with these things that aren't necessarily there, but are maybe being represented by motion capture actors on the day of filming or whatever. But they just don't seem to really fit all that well. The art and the set direction are great. I, I think they capture the feel, the tone of. Warcraft, very much so. It has its own feel. You know, humans look a certain way. The armor looks a certain way. The buildings look a certain way. All of that works really, really well. So good attention to detail. 
Um, and there's a very sort of distinctive aspect that says this is Warcraft. And, and, and that's there. It's present. We do see glimpses of some of the other races, but for the most part, it's just orcs and humans. I would have liked to have seen more, but again, this is based on the first game, and that's pretty much what you get in the first game. Um, but truth be told, this is not the story that I think most fans want to see. This is where they're starting. This is where the property starts. Okay, I get it, but really, most fans want to see uh, Warcraft 3. And that is, for those of you who have seen the film, the little baby at the end, it kind of looks like, you know, very derivative of the Moses story, because yes, it is basically the Moses story. Um, <laughs> that is Warcraft 3's storyline. And that is, I think, the thing that really gets gamers excited, uh, I, because Warcraft 3 brought in a lot of gamers, and that in turn led to the World of Warcraft title. And the characters from that point are the ones who are very recognizable and very, very popular. The characters here are just, I mean, they're known, they're just not that big a, a part of the, the gameplay and the things that happen currently uh, for, for gamers. So I think that if we don't get to that point, which I maybe they're hopefully planning for the second film and not actually for a third film, um, because the, the second game is very similar to the first. It's, it's, it's more the same. Um, but I don't know, if, you know, like Kevin was saying, we may not actually get there, which I think would be a shame, because that's a much better story. It's a much more interesting story um, with what's going on um, in, in Warcraft 3. So if you've never played Warcraft or World of Warcraft, I have a hard time recommending this film. I would not recommend this film to my parents. Um, I went to see it by myself. I didn't take my wife because she's seen me play Warcraft before. Um, she was not big into it. I, I you know, tried to get her into it. That's not the kind of game she really enjoyed. And I just thought, okay, I'm just going to go see it because I don't think she'll get a lot out of it. And I think it was the right decision. I may sit down and watch it you know, when it comes out on video with her because um, she does enjoy fantasy and, and Game of Thrones stuff. Um, but I think there may be a lot of stuff that she'll just be, you know, be missing because she's not catching a lot of the references because she hasn't played the game. So if you've not played it, um, I can't really give it a recommendation because it's not a great film. Um, but if you are somebody who has played it, I'd have to say go see it because what you're going to get is you're going to get lots of things that you're familiar with. And it's so great to see those things, those characters, those moments um, up on the big screen. Um, I got chills in, in some places because of that. And, and uh, that was very enjoyable for me. So again, I'm of a, a mixed uh, kind of mode. And this is the problem with, I think, the, the idea of putting video games on the screen. I mean, we go back to, I think, one of the first ones listed on the uh, uh, Wikipedia page for theatrical releases is Super Mario Brothers, right? And you've got the Street, <laughs> Fre Street Fighter movie and the Resident Evil movies and the Doom movie. And, you know, most video game movies are seen as dismally bad when they're put into big screen variations. Um, and I would say that, you know, if we were going to put these on a scale, this one is in the upper 50%. It's certainly not at the top like many people were hoping, um, but it's a lot better than others that you're going to find uh, on that list. 
So it's also, you know, mixed review wise, it's like 29% on Rotten Tomatoes, I think, at the time we're recording this. But the audience score is like 86%. It's got a 7.6 on IMDb. So what does this tell me? It tells me I can't believe anything I read anymore because I don't know, you know, what's right and, and what's not. And I just say, you know, uh, don't trust the internet. Go see it for yourself. The two questions I asked myself coming out of the movie was, um, will I watch it again? And I would say yes, at some point in the future, I will watch it again. Um, not in the cinema, but, you know, when it gets out on home video. Um, and do I want to see more? Yes, I do want to see more, but I want them to do much, much better. Um, now, are we going to see more? Probably not, you know, based based on the uh, information that Kevin gave us. So. so, Kevin, you've mentioned you're not a big Warcraft gamer. You know the title, but you've never really delved much into it, so... What's your take on this? The protector waves the Rurrurf to beat the Rurrurf to protect Rurrurf. That's what it sounded like. I cannot remember any of the lands. I can remember Guidon for some reason. Like mm. Godon, Godon, that's, yeah. that's Daniel Wu, right? Like, yes. I remember that. Like, I, the, 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 the main guy who was like Dar Darvrom, something like that. Like Dararang, I don't know, something like sort of a D. Don't know. See, that's the thing. Like, I didn't hate the film. Like, there were moments that worked for me, I think. Um, the thing with the son, the, the human character's son, um, that worked for me. Um, yeah, some of the stuff worked for me, except I couldn't stand the fact that they, the, 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 what was it, the protector in training kid? The kid with the mustache? Yeah. Like, the fake stash. He's like a 17-year-old stash right yeah, yeah, yeah like i couldn't like it just came off odd to me and and I, you were we were actually spot on i didn't i'm no know why i didn't think of this why didn't they make an animated film out of it you know um is it because universal doesn't really have an animation studio that does this kind of thing that they are they still you know hurting from or are they just really fear fearful after what happened to final fantasy that you can't make animated film for teens and above like is that why i don't know um yeah, um, it would have worked better that way, I think. Um, at least I would have bought into the magic more because right now live action, this thing is just I couldn't believe any of it. The thing I know, yeah, fantasy you don't believe any of it, yeah, I know. But the thing is, I, I couldn't get into the world. Like it didn't really bring bring me in. Now I I must admit that yes, I was somewhat drunk when I saw it in the cinema, and I was very tired that Friday. But the thing is, um, it didn't engage me. Like I. Uh, it just didn't really engage me the way that I thought um, a Duncan. I'm not forget Duncan Jones film, but an origin story should right. It should bring you into the world. It's, it's just sort of like the story itself was like, yeah, it's all right, I guess. Like I don't understand why the protector guy was you know acting really sick all the time until the end. I know, but yeah, it. it, it I didn't really even dis. I didn't have the energy to dislike it. So, so that's kind of maybe I'm too old for this fantasy stuff now. Maybe I don't. I'm not sure. Yeah, and maybe yeah, like you said, it's because I'm not into the games. Um, and yeah, so from, from someone who doesn't play the game, that's it's really more of disinterest and kind of meh more than anything else. Yeah, it's um, you know, I I, it's not a good movie. I mean, I I can I can I can say it if you're if if you you know just on its own merits uh, as an origin story or even the characters themselves. I didn't find um, Lothar to be that interesting of a character. 
um, as a as the sort of human side protagonist. Even you mentioned the thing with the sun, that was just it was so very typical, right? Because you could just kind of saw that coming. You knew it was going to happen. It was telegraphed. But the moment, but the moment itself was well done. That moment itself, that scene, I like that scene. Yeah. Like so, there are like it's not a total flop in a way that like every scene is missed. It's not like every scene is is a flop. Every scene's bad. Like there were things that were working here and there, which I guess makes it even more frustrating because. Like I'm trying to get into it. Like, okay, this seems good. This seems good, but I couldn't get more into it than I should. You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. You have been listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Snauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database, as well as a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at concast.com. You can also follow us over on Twitter, twitter.com slash concast. You can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com. And we're on Facebook at East S West S. I'd also urge you to follow along with Kevin and all the things that he is doing as he moves it and shakes it. So, sir, where can they find out more about what you're doing? Moves it and shake it. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm shaking it um, over uh, on uh, Discovery Magazine uh, and Sigro Magazine, which you can find on your Cathay Pacific Airways and Cathay Dragon flights. You can also check out the Discovery app uh, on the iTunes Store. Uh, only for the iPad, where you will see some of the latest content. Uh, again, June, um, a great article by Maggie Lee about Stephen Chow and Mermaid. Uh, my article about... I can never remember the film I do in June. I did... Let's see. July, I did The Lobster. And before that, I June, I did... Yeah, well, there's a really great art film in there um, that I wrote about. Um yeah, and, and uh, also we have an interesting article from the CX team uh, about uh, 10 Cloverfield and Midnight Special. So, yeah, um, all very interesting stuff. Um, yeah, and you can also find me on Twitter. I'm at the Golden Rock. That's one word, the Golden Rock. And uh, you can email me at thegoldenrock at gmail.com. Um, and uh, you can catch me sometime this week, or no, no, not this week, but I recorded this week with uh, Kenneth Brosnan over at uh, Podcast on Fire. Um, I will talk about the episode a bit more when it actually goes online. But yeah, I did a really interesting show with him uh, over the past weekend, and uh, I'll promote it more when it goes online. Yes, indeed. I'm looking forward to hearing that. All right. So next episode, 195. Uh, I think we're going to be talking about the latest film from uh, Ivana and uh, Alex Fong. They've got a film that's been kind of snuck out before us, so hopefully we'll get out to talk about that. So all of that and more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying, for the horde, and we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody. Uh.